Uh, Would you turn with me in your Bibles to Colossians? Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Page number is found in your bulletin if you're looking in the Pew Bibles. Page 1169. And we've been going through this book of Colossians uh, over the last month and a half. We're halfway through, and uh, the title of our sermon series is Keep Calm and Carry On in Christ. I think that's a way of summarizing what Paul was trying to get across to the Colossian Christians a long time ago. And it's a good message for us when we might be tempted to go in many different directions. And Paul says, no matter what happens, keep calm and carry on in Christ. Uh, So let me read. We're looking at just four verses today. A short but powerful passage. Chapter 3. If then... You have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it's been preserved for us. We pray uh, for your help as we look into it. We pray that you would help us to uh, be receptive to what you have for us. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Uh, O Lord, you are our rock and our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Who are you? I wonder how do you think about that question. Or if somebody comes to you and says, tell me about yourself, where do you start? Uh, Some of us tend to think about who we are in reference to our past. Uh, Perhaps where we were born, or where we were raised, or the family that we grew up in. Maybe we start there. Others of us tend to define who we are by what we're doing in the present. We might say, I'm a student, or I'm a nurse, or I'm a teacher, or I'm a salesman, or I'm a caregiver, or I'm a parent, or a grandparent. Or sometimes we define who we are by our future plans and goals. So my daughter's preschool had an end-of-year celebration uh, back in June, and they had each of the kids walk across the stage, and the director would say, this is so-and-so, And he or she wants to grow up and be a firefighter, an astronaut, a doctor, a teacher, whatever. Right? So we can define ourselves by people, places, or things in our past, in our present, or in our future. But in this morning's passage, the Apostle Paul addresses this question, who are you at the deepest level? And Paul wants us to see that Christians... People who believe in and follow Jesus have an identity in Christ that changes how we see our past, our present, and our future. See, Paul wants us to know who we are at the deepest level through our connection to Jesus Christ. Now, if you look at these four verses that we just read, there's only one command in these verses It's repeated twice. In verse 1, Paul says, seek the things that are above. And then in verse 2, he says, set your minds 
on things that are above. Now, if you read only those phrases and completely ignore the rest of the context, you might misunderstand what Paul is saying. Uh, Paul was not saying that Christians should walk around with our heads in the clouds and paying as little attention as possible to our physical bodies or to practical matters. Okay, now that's not what he means by set your minds on things above and not on things that are on earth. What he was saying is that we should no longer live according to the fallen and corrupt realities of this present age. So if you look down at uh, verse 5, Paul says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, and then he goes on to list several things, sexual immorality, greed, anger, malice, in, in, the, in that next paragraph. So Paul's not denigrating physical things. Paul's saying that we should get rid of morally corrupt attitudes and behaviors. And next week we'll look into that theme, sort of what Paul wants us to get rid of, the garbage Paul wants us to get rid of. But then in, chapter, in verse 12, Paul tells us, what we should clothe ourselves in, or what we should put on. He says we should put on compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, forgiveness, and above all, love. In other words, Paul's saying we should put on the character of Jesus Christ. So that's what Paul means when he's saying seek the things that are above where Christ is. In other words, seek to become the kind of person who reflects the character of Jesus Christ and not the patterns of our fa the fallen and corrupt world that we live in and uh, the, our, our own fallen and corrupt natures that we were born with. Uh, so over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to be looking at is how we should live as followers of Christ in these ways. Uh, but today's passage Paul really focuses on who we are in Christ, because the way Paul is seeing things is our identity in Christ is the basis of how we should live, right? It's not how we live and how, and, and how well we're doing at following Jesus that is the basis of who we are. It's, no, who we already are by being connected to Jesus, that is the root from which our growth in Christ springs. So if you look at these verses, they contain only one command, but they contain four key statements about our identity in Christ. Verse 1 says, you have been raised with Christ. Verse 3 says, for you have died. Both of those refer to something that's happened in the past, that we've died and risen with Christ. Then there's a statement about our life in the present. In the end of verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And then there's a statement about the future. Verse 4, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So we're going to look at these past, present, and future realities of who we are in Christ. That we've died and risen with Christ in the past, we've been changed in the past, our life is hidden in the present, and we can look forward to glory in the future. So those are the three themes we're going to look at this morning. Changed in the past, hidden in the present, glory in the future. So let's look at each of these themes uh, one by one. Verse, uh, first, we've been changed in the past. Verse 3 says, for you have died. And then verse 1 says, you've been raised with Christ. So these are statements about what has already happened to us if we are believers in Christ Jesus. 
Uh, when Jesus died on the cross, our old, corrupt, sinful nature died there with him. And it was buried there in the tomb. But when Jesus rose up from the grave three days later, he raised us up with him to new life. In other words, what happened to Jesus physically has now happened to us spiritually. Okay, so we read earlier from Ephesians chapter 2, which uh, talks about the same theme. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. But God, isn't that a wonderful phrase, but God, being rich in mercy, even when we were dead, raised us up with Christ, made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And then Paul goes on to say, by grace, by God's mercy, we have been saved through faith. You see, when we come to believe and trust in Jesus, the benefits of what Christ accomplished on the cross are then applied to us personally. You see, so when Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price for our, we, we, he, he took our sins to the grave, and he wrote, when he rose up, uh, he, he raised us to new life with him, and when we come to believe and trust in him, those things become a reality in our own lives. So you might think about it this way. Jesus' death and resurrection produced the perfect medicine with the power to cure our deepest ailment. Now, there are many different kinds of medicines in the world. Some medicines just try to alleviate symptoms, right? They just try to make you feel better temporarily, right? So if you take an Advil or a Tylenol, it's not going to heal any sickness, not going to cure, not going to drive out any infection. It'll just make you feel a little better so you can tolerate the pain for four to six hours, hopefully, if it even works that long. Depends what kind of pain you're dealing with, right? But other medicines, like antibiotics, actually try to cure a disease. They try to get rid of an infection. Now, here's the challenge with any medication that's trying to kill an infection. The medicine has to kill the infection without killing the patient, right? or without causing worse side effects than it relieves you from. But G think about it this way. Jesus' death on the cross produced the perfect medicine, a way to kill our sin without killing us. See, a, a way to get rid of what corrupts our lives without getting rid of us in the process, but actually freeing us from that. And when we receive what he has done for us, the medicine is applied to us personally. So that's what Paul is talking about when he says, you've died to your old sinful self, you've been raised with Christ to new and unending life. And Paul would say, if you're a Christian, if you've experienced this, this is the most important thing that has ever happened in your past. It's more important than where you were born and raised it's more important than the family that you were raised in. It's more important than your greatest accomplishments or your worst failures and most embarrassing moments. You've died and risen with Christ. You've begun a new life with him. Now, for many people, uh, if you've been married, marriage can be one of the defining moments of your life, perhaps one of the most uh, that you remember most distinctly. I can remember very distinctly the day that my wife and I were married, nearly 15 years ago. Now, some of you have been married much longer than we have, but you can pro no matter how, how long it's been, you probably remember that day 
more distinctly than almost any other day. But every wedding ceremony acknowledges an inherent limitation when you say, till death do us part. Right? Even the best earthly marriage, and of course there are many things that can be very challenging in marriage, but even the best earthly marriage is subject to that limitation. If your spouse dies, there is nothing you can do to bring them back to life. But when you come to Jesus, when you're raised to new life with him, he doesn't say, I'm with you till death do us part. He doesn't say, I'm with you as long as you're good enough. He says, I'm with you, and I will never leave you, and I will never forsake you. And so you can count on Jesus you can be assured that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. No matter what your experience, no matter if you've ever been married or what your experience of marriage was, this is something far better than that and far more lasting and eternal. Paul's saying you've died and risen to new life with Christ. Do you notice that each of these statements about our identity is, includes that phrase, raised with Christ, hidden with Christ, you will appear with him. That's what Paul wants us to know, what it means to be with him, with Jesus, with him side by side by, uh, throughout your life and into all eternity. So let me ask you, have you experienced what Paul's talking about here? Now some people can pinpoint a specific time and place when they came alive in Christ. They can look back and say, I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Like, like that song Amazing Grace that we just sang. Now the writer of that song Amazing Grace had a very powerful experience because he was the captain of a ship and his ship was caught in a terrible thunderstorm and it was starting to sink and he cried out to God for mercy. He was not particularly religious or spiritual beforehand, but he cried out to God for mercy in the middle of the storm and he survived. He and all his crew. And he attributed their deliverance to God's mercy. Um, so he had a very dramatic experience, but not everybody has that same experience. I think for other people, it's not so much like a, a lightning bolt that hits you, it's more like sunrise on a cloudy day. Have you ever been outside on a cloudy, overcast day? You can't really tell what moment the sun came above the horizon. But you can tell that it once was totally dark, and now it's light. Uh, and so maybe that's, that describes your experience. Maybe you can remember a time where you were far away from Christ, and you don't know exactly when the transition happened, but you know now that you're with him. Or maybe you can look back and say, I don't remember a time when I didn't know Christ. Jesus Christ was right there with me even before I knew him. Uh, that's actually my experience. Um, but I think in this room, we probably have people with all three of those categories of experiences, right? The sort of dramatic experience that shows God's transforming power, the sort of slow, gradual experience uh, of the like, uh, that shows God's unsearchable wisdom, and uh, the experience of God having been there even before we knew it that testifies to his steadfast love. So you see all these ways that God brings us to Jesus show his wisdom and power and love in one way or another, right? Christians don't all have the exact same kind of what we might call a conversion experience. Um, but the whole point is, are you with Christ now? Now let me speak to you for a moment 
if maybe you haven't yet had that experience. If you are sort of listening and you're here today, you're curious, uh, but you would say, no, I, I'm not sure I've come to faith in Jesus. I'm not really sure what I believe about this. But let me ask you this. What is it that drew you to come here to church today? Now, in some societies, going to church brings social advantages. Uh, and so, in those societies, lots of people attend church who have no real spiritual interest. But they go to church because everybody else in the society expects them to go to church. Well, I don't know what your experience has been, but I have not had that experience here in New England. I've, grown, I've been born and raised here in New England. I, don't, I have never heard anybody who says, Oh, yeah, I went to church because on Monday morning, you know, some, one of my co-workers uh, was, would expect that I have gone to church. I, and, uh, right? I, I, I think one of the good things about living here in New England is that most people who come to church actually want to be here. They're not just doing it to be fake. So, again, why are you here? Maybe you're here because you're troubled by questions that you don't have answers to. Or maybe you sense that something is wrong in the world and the world really needs help or something's wrong in your own life and you really need some help. And, uh, or maybe you're here out of respect for someone who invited you. Think, well, I don't know if I believe, but I respect their faith. I'll, sure, I'll come along with them and at least listen. But let me ask you this question. Behind any of those reasons that might have drawn you here this morning, could it be that God is beckoning you and drawing you toward himself. Through those unresolved questions, through that sense of a need for something more, through that person that he's put in your life that you respect and admire. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So let me invite you to Come to Jesus and, and, and take the next step toward him, whatever that might mean. So that's the first thing Paul tells us, is that Christians have been changed in the past. But the second thing he tells us is that Christian, a Christian's true life is hidden in the present. Verse 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, I think that's an interesting statement, and I think many of us might read that and think, huh, what exactly does that mean? Now, if you read a sentence in the Bible and you think, I'm not really sure what this sentence means, one potentially helpful approach is to ask, does a key word or phrase appear somewhere else in the Bible? And if so, does that shed light on this verse? What it might mean here. So, if you look through the Old Testament, you'll find that the word hidden often refers to something that is hidden in a safe place or hidden in God's presence. So in Psalm 27, verse 5, David writes, God will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. Or in Psalm 31, another psalm, uh, verse 20, in the cover of your presence, you hide them from the plots of men. You store them in your shelter from the strife of tongues. And if we read verse 3 with that background in mind, 
of being hidden in a safe place or hidden in the presence of God, verse 3 makes sense. Your life is hidden. In other words, your life is secure with Christ in God. It's the idea that God is our refuge and that when, our, when we find our life in him, when we're with him, that our life is securely held in his hands. Um, and that's a wonderful truth. But that's not all, because if you read the book of Colossians, you'll also find the word hidden. Uh, and in two places uh, that we've already looked at a few weeks ago, actually. And, and when the same word appears multiple times in the same book, or in the same author's writings, that's usually a clue that we should pay attention to when we're trying to interpret a verse that isn't, maybe isn't so immediately apparent what it means. So look back at chapter 1, verse 26. Paul talks about the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. You might say, well, what is the mystery he's talking about? Well, the next verse says, the mystery is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And then in, if you look down at chapter 2, verse, the end of verse 2, the last word of verse 2, or last phrase says, God's mystery is Christ, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So those are the two times that this word hidden has already appeared in Colossians. And so you might think, well, okay, does what, uh, so far in Colossians the idea of hiddenness emphasizes something that uh, is now hidden. In other words, it's not it's something that God sees, but people don't, but in the future it will be revealed. Just like the message about Jesus was hidden for a long time, but now it's come to light because Jesus has come to earth. Uh, so, and, and that's also the emphasis of verses 3 and 4 uh, in chapter 3. Right? Your life is hidden, your life is now hidden, that is, God can see it, but people can't always see it. Your life is hidden with Christ in, God, Christ in God. In the future, it will be revealed. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, uh, what, 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 what would this mean? Paul's saying that true life in Christ is rooted in hidden realities, not in outward appearances. Does that make sense? Our true life in Christ is, sorry, rooted in hidden realities, not in outward appearances. Uh, so James Dunn wrote in his commentary on these verses, Paul is describing a life lived from day to day within the world, but lived out of a hidden resource, a still center with Christ in God. Paul was wholly confident that this hidden resource would provide all the wisdom needed to cope with the challenges and problems of daily living. So let me ask, are you living out of a hidden resource? Your inner life with Christ in God? Is that what is sustaining and strengthening you? And are you cultivating that inner life in Christ as much as or more than your outward appearance? You see, Christians should be people whose inner reality is richer and more profound than our outward appearance. Think about it this way. Ever since the fall, Human beings have tried to justify ourselves by cultivating an impressive outward appearance to hide an embarrassing inner reality. If you read the story of Adam and Eve, what's, what do they do? They 
They eat the fruit. In other words, they disobeyed God's command. And what's the first, one of the first things they do when God comes looking for them? They try to hide and cover themselves with fig leaves. They don't fess up to the inner reality that they just distrusted and disobeyed their creator, but they try to put on a facade, put on an outward appearance that hides the inner reality. And we think, covering yourselves with fig leaves? Such a futile and foolish endeavor. But how often do we do the same? How often do we cultivate an impressive outward appearance, whether it's physical beauty or physical prowess, professional success, or a perfect-looking family? We can try to put forward all of those impressive outward appearances and find our identity and our security in one of those things, but under the surface, we're insecure and jealous and envious and critical of others and arrogant. And we can be like the owner of a car who insists on taking that car through the car wash every single day so it looks nice and shiny and bright on the outside, but has ignored the check engine light that's been on for months. We think, what's the problem? You see, friends, Jesus came to save us from our futile and foolish attempts to justify ourselves. He came to save us from building facades that don't reflect reality. And Jesus came to save us from the inside out and not from the outside in. You see, Jesus did the reverse of what Adam and Eve did after the fall. Jesus didn't try to cover over an ugly interior with an impressive exterior. No, Jesus had the most beautiful inner reality. A pure soul with love and trust in his heavenly Father, but he had a most ordinary outward appearance. Isaiah 53, 2 Speaking of Jesus, says he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus didn't come on the scene with an impressive outward appearance. He wasn't born in a prominent, prestigious city or raised in a prominent, prestigious city. For the majority of Jesus' life, he lived in Nazareth, which was a no-name town up in the hills. He was a hillbilly. Right? From one of those places. Jesus' outward appearance wasn't particularly impressive to the people of his time, but he lived out of a deep inner connection to his heavenly Father. And his public life flowed out of that inner reality. You see, his outer life flowed out of his inner connection to the Father. And so when we find our life in Jesus Christ, Jesus wants to make us into people whose inner reality becomes richer and more profound than our outward appearance. That instead of trying to justify ourselves by cultivating an impressive outward appearance and making ourselves feel confident or trying to prove ourselves to others in that way, we can find our identity in our connection to Jesus and Jesus wants to cultivate that inner reality. So 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4 says this, Do not let your adorning be external, 
the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Now, the point of those verses is not that earrings are inherently sinful or that appearing frumpy is inherently spiritual. The point of the verse is that our hidden life in Christ is very precious to God, far more valuable than our outward appearance. And that God wants us to begin and to prioritize cultivating our inner life in Christ and let our outward appearance flow out of that genuinely. Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, taught us how we can cultivate that hidden inner life in Christ. He said, when you pray, go pray by yourself, where nobody else can hear you, where nobody else sees you, where you're not putting on a show. He says, when you give or when you fast, in other words, when you make sacrifices in order to love God and serve others, don't announce it to the world with trumpets, don't broadcast everybody how generous and self-sacrificial you are. Don't post on your social media about what you just did. Just do it quietly. Live for an audience of one. Trust that your heavenly Father sees no matter who else sees or doesn't see. And look for your reward from him. You see, Jesus teaches us how to cultivate that inner life in Christ. Live before the face of God, and then you can face the world with integrity. So brothers and sisters, let's cultivate that hidden inner life in Christ. Let's prioritize that and, and, and let, our, let the outward stuff come as we cultivate that. So a Christian has been changed in the past. A Christian's true life is hidden in the present. Finally, a Christian looks forward to glory in the future. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. You see, one day, Jesus Christ, who is hidden from our sight now, will appear and will be visible for all to see. And on that day, the Bible says that all that is now hidden will come to light. Paul talks about this day in some of his other letters. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5 says, The Lord will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Or 1 Timothy 5, 24 and 25 says, the sins of some people are conspicuous. In other words, they're obvious now, but the sins of others appear later. In other words, they won't be hidden forever. So also, good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. Now, there's a warning in these passages that if we're living in secret sin, deceiving others, or even deceiving ourselves, and if we think we can get away with it, we can count on an unpleasant revelation in the future. Because hidden sin will not remain hidden forever. Jesus himself said the same thing in Luke 12, verse 2. He said, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light. 
and what you have whispered in private rooms will be proclaimed on the housetops. So if there's hidden sin in your life, bring it out into the light now. Confess your sin to God. Perhaps confess your sin to a brother or sister in Christ so that together that you can be assured of God's forgiveness and the freedom that comes with telling the truth instead of living a lie. So there's a warning not to hide. Uh, not to hide our sin from God. But there's also an encouragement. And that's what verse 4 of Colossians 3 emphasizes. That our life in Christ today might seem ordinary, unremarkable, and weak. Maybe you think, I'm not a very good Christian. I haven't accomplished very much as a Christian. And even if I try my hardest, I probably won't make very much spiritual progress between now and the end of my life. But Paul says that one day when Jesus appears, you and I will appear with him in glory. You see, our life in Christ right now is like a little seed. A little seed planted in the ground, hidden, unremarkable, almost invisible. But after days and weeks and months and years, that little seed germinates and grows into a beautiful flowering plant or a stately oak tree, something unimaginably beautiful and enduring, something that no one could envision simply by looking at the seed from the outside. Philippians 3.21 says, One day the Lord Jesus Christ will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. And 1 John 3 verse 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. There is a glorious unfolding to come. James Dunn wrote, this is the confidence that Christians can cherish, despite the hiddenness of their present lives, that the work of glorification already begun in them has been completed in Christ as a guarantee that it will be also completed in them. You see, Jesus reigns in glory at the right hand of the Father. And the promise of that is that he will bring us with him. And we too will be with him in glory. So N.T. Wright wrote this in his commentary on this passage, the Christian hopes not merely for the coming of the Lord, but for the full revelation of what he or she already is. On that day it will be seen with what faithful diligence and perseverance many outwardly unsuccessful and forgotten Christian workers have served their Lord. Paul the prisoner, considered by the Romans to be an eccentric Jew and considered by the Jews to be a worse than Gentile traitor, will be seen as Paul the Apostle, the servant of the King. The Colossian Christians Insignificant people from a third-rate country town will be seen in a glory which, if it were now to appear, one might be tempted to worship. This is how we are to regard our life. And on this foundation, we are to build genuine holiness and Christian maturity. You see, Paul's saying, invest in your life in Christ now, even if it's hidden and unremarkable and like a little seed planted in the ground because one day it will be revealed, your life in Christ will be revealed in glory. 
Let me close with the words of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He wrote a poem wrestling with this question of who am I? It's a wonderful poem. You can read the whole thing, but I'm just going to read the beginning and the end, or to, uh, an excerpt. Sorry, it's not the beginning, but an excerpt, small excerpt from it. He says, who am I? Am I this or the other? Am I one person today and tomorrow another? Who am I? They mock me, these lonely questions of mine. Whoever I am, thou knowest, O God, I am thine. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, help us to find our true identity in you. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for overly attaching ourselves to other things, for thinking of ourselves only in light of only or primarily in light of our accomplishments or in light of our failures, Lord, feeling the pride or the shame that comes along with those things, we pray that we would find our true life in Jesus Christ, that we have been raised with him and that we will appear with him in glory. We pray you'd help us to invest in our, our hidden life in you. Lord, to be people who are transformed day by day from the inside out by the power of your spirit working in us. And we thank you. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So our last hymn is a hymn that's usually sung on Easter Sunday, but as we've talked about being raised with Christ, I think it's appropriate that we celebrate his resurrection and how he has raised us to life with him. So we're going to sing Christ the Lord is Risen Today, hymn 312. <laughs>